Chapter 9 of The Mind and Its Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Mind and Its Education by George Herbert Betts. Chapter 9 Imagination. Everyone desires to have a good imagination yet not all would agree as to what constitutes a good imagination if i were to ask a group of you whether you have good imaginations many of you would probably at once fall to considering whether you are capable of taking wild flights into impossible realms of thought and evolving unrealities out of airy nothings you would compare yourself with great imaginative writers such as stevenson poe de quincey and judge your power of imagination by your ability to produce such tales as made them famous. 1. The Place of Imagination in Mental Economy But such a measure for the imagination as that just stated is far too narrow. A good imagination, like a good memory, is the one which serves its owner best. If De Quincey and Poe and Stevenson and Bulwer found the type which led them into such dizzy flights the best for their particular purpose, well and good. But that is not saying that their type is the best for you, or that you may not rank as high in some other field of imaginative power as they in theirs. While you may lack in their particular type of imagination, they may have been short in the type which will one day make you famous. The artisan, the architect, the merchant, the artist, the farmer, the teacher, the professional man, all need imagination in their vocations not less than the writers need it in theirs, but each needs a specialized kind adapted to the particular work which he has to do. Practical Nature of Imagination Imagination is not a process of thought which must deal chiefly with unrealities and impossibilities, and which has for its chief end our amusement when we have nothing better to do than to follow its wanderings. It is, rather, a commonplace, necessary process which illumines the way for our everyday thinking and acting, a process without which we think and act by haphazard chance or blind imitation. It is the process by which the images from our past experiences are marshaled and made to serve our present. Imagination looks into the future and constructs our patterns and lays our plans. It sets up our ideals and pictures us in the acts of achieving them. It enables us to live our joys and our sorrows, our victories and our defeats, before we reach them. It looks into the past and allows us to live with the kings and seers of old, or it goes back to the beginning and we see things in the process of the making. It comes into our present and plays a part in every act from the simplest to the most complex. It is to the mental stream what the light is to the traveler who carries it as he passes through the darkness, while it casts its beams in all directions around him, lighting up what otherwise would be intolerable gloom. Imagination in the Interpretation of History, Literature, and Art Let us see some of the most common uses of the imagination. Suppose I describe to you the Battle of the Marne. Unless you can take the images which my words suggest and build them into struggling, shouting, bleeding soldiers, into forts and entanglements and breastworks, into roaring cannon and whistling bullet and screaming shell, unless you can take all these separate images and out of them get one great unified complex, 
then my description will be to you only so many words largely without content and you will lack the power to comprehend the historical event in any complete way unless you can read the poem and out of the images suggested by the words reconstruct the picture which was in the mind of the author as he wrote the village blacksmith or snowbound the significance will have dropped out and the throbbing scenes of life and action become only so many dead words like the shell of the chrysalis after the butterfly has left its shroud without the power of imagination the history of washington's winter at valley forge becomes a mere formal recital and you can never get a view of the snow-covered tents the wind-swept landscape the tracks in the snow marked by the tell-tale drops of blood or the form of the heartbroken commander as he kneels in the silent wood to pray for his army without the power to construct this picture as you read you may commit the words and be able to recite them and to pass examination upon them but the living reality of it will forever escape you your power of imagination determines your ability to interpret literature of all kinds for the interpretation of literature is nothing after all but the reconstruction on our part of the pictures with their meanings which were in the mind of the writer as he penned the words and the experiencing of the emotions which moved him as he wrote small use indeed to read the history of the centuries unless we can see in it living acting people and real events occurring in actual environments small use to read the world's great books unless their characters are to us real men and women our brothers and sisters interpreted to us by the master minds of the ages anything less than this and we are no longer dealing with literature but with words like musical sounds which deal with no theme or like picture frames in which no picture has been set nor is the case different in listening to a speaker his words are to you only so many sensations of sounds of such and such pitches and intensities and quality unless your mind keeps pace with his and continually builds the pictures which fill his thought as he speaks lacking imagination the sculptures of michelangelo and the pictures of raphael are to you so many pieces of curiously shaped marble and ingeniously colored canvas what the sculptor and the painter have placed before you must suggest to you images and thoughts from your own experience to fill out and make alive the marble and the canvas else to you they are dead imagination and science nor is imagination less necessary in other lines of study without this power of building living moving pictures out of images there is small use to study science beyond what is immediately present to our senses for some of the most fundamental laws of science rest upon conceptions which can be grasped only as we have the power of imagination the student who cannot get a picture of the molecules of matter infinitely close to each other and yet never touching all in vibratory motion yet each within its own orbit each a complete unit in itself yet capable of still further division into smaller particles the student who cannot see all this in a clear visual image can never at best have more than a most hazy notion of the theory of matter and this means finally that the explanations of light and heat and sound and much besides will be to him largely a jumble of words which linger in his memory perchance but which never vitally become a possession of his mind so with the world of the telescope you may have at your disposal all the magnificent lenses and the accurate machinery owned by modern observatories 
but if you have not within yourself the power to build what these reveal to you and what the books tell you into the solar system and still larger systems you can never study astronomy except in a blind and piecemeal sort of way and all the planets and satellites and suns will never for you form themselves into a system no matter what the books may say about it everyday uses of imagination but we may consider a still more practical phase of imagination or at least one which has more to do with the humdrum daily life of most of us suppose you go to your milliner and tell her how you want your spring hat shaped and trimmed and suppose you have never been able to see this hat in toto in your mind so as to get an idea of how it will look when completed but have only a general notion because you like red velvet white plumes and a turned-up rim that this combination will look well together suppose you have never been able to see how you would look in this particular hat with your hair done in this or that way if you are in this helpless state shall you not have to depend finally on the taste of the milliner or accept the model and so fail to reveal any taste or individuality on your own part how many times have you been disappointed in some article of dress because when you planned it you were unable to see it all at once so as to get the full effect or else you could not see yourself in it and so be able to judge whether it suited you how many homes have in them draperies and rugs and wallpaper and furniture which are in constant quarrel because someone could not see before they were assembled that they were never intended to keep company how many people who plan their own houses would build them just the same again after seeing them completed the man who can see a building complete before a brick has been laid or a timber put in place who can see it not only in its details one by one as he runs them over in his mind but can see the building in its entirety is the only one who is safe to plan the structure and this is the man who is drawing a large salary as an architect for imaginations of this kind are in demand only the one who can see in his mind's eye before it is begun the thing he would create is capable to plan its construction and who will say that ability to work with images of these kinds is not of just a high a type as that which results in the construction of plots upon which stories are built the building of ideals and plans nor is the part of the imagination less marked in the formation of our life's ideals and plans everyone who is not living blindly and aimlessly must have some ideal some pattern by which to square his life and guide his actions at some time in our life i am sure that each of us has selected the person who filled most nearly our notion of what we should like to become and measured ourselves by this pattern but there comes a time when we must idealize even the most perfect individual when we invest the character with attributes which we have selected from some other person and thus worship at a shrine which is partly real and partly ideal as time goes on we drop out more and more of the strictly individual element adding correspondingly more of the ideal until our pattern is largely a construction of our own imagination having in it the best we have been able to glean from the many characters we have known how large a part these ever-changing ideals play in our lives we shall never know but certainly the part is not an insignificant one and happy the youth who is able to look into the future and see himself approximating some worthy ideal he has caught a vision which will never allow him to lag or falter in the pursuit of the flying goal which points the direction of his efforts imagination and conduct another great field for imagination is with reference to conduct and our relations with others 
Over and over again the thoughtless person has to say, I'm sorry, I did not think. The did not think simply means that he failed to realize through his imagination what would be the consequences of his rash or unkind words. He would not be unkind, but he did not imagine how the other would feel. He did not put himself in the other's place. Likewise, with reference to the effects of our conduct on ourselves. What youth, taking his first drink of liquor, would continue if he could see a clear picture of himself in the gutter with bloated face and bloodshot eyes a decade hence? Or what boy, slyly smoking one of his early cigarettes, would proceed if he could see his haggard face and nerveless hand a few years farther along? What spendthrift would throw away his money on vanities could he vividly see himself in penury and want in old age? What prodigal anywhere who, if he could take a good look at himself, sin-stained and broken as he returns to his father's house after the years of debauchery in the far country, would not hesitate long before he entered upon his downward career? Imagination and Thinking we have already considered the use of imagination in interpreting the thoughts, feelings, and handiwork of others. Let us now look a little more closely into the part it plays in our own thinking. Suppose that instead of reading a poem, we are writing one. Instead of listening to a description of a battle, we are describing it. Instead of looking at the picture, we are painting it. Then our object is to make others who may read our language or listen to our words or view our handiwork construct the mental images of the situation which furnished the material for our thought. Our words and other modes of expression are but the description of the flow of images in our minds, and our problem is to make a similar stream flow through the mind of the listener. But strange indeed would it be to make others see a situation which we ourselves cannot see. Strange if we could draw a picture without being able to follow its outlines as we draw. Or suppose we are teaching science, and our object is to explain the composition of matter to someone, and make him understand how light, heat, etc. depend on the theory of matter. Strange if the listener should get a picture if we ourselves are unable to get it. Or, once more, suppose we are to describe some incident, and our aim is to make its every detail stand out so clearly that no one can miss a single one. Is it not evident that we can never make any of these images more clear to those who listen to us or read our words than they are to ourselves? 2. The material used by imagination. What is the material, the mental content, out of which imagination builds its structures? Images, the stuff of imagination. Nothing can enter the imagination, the elements of which have not been in our past experience and then been conserved in the form of images. The Indians never dreamed of a heaven whose streets are paved with gold and in whose center stands a great white throne. Their experience had given them no knowledge of these things, and so perforce they must build their heaven out of the images which they had at command, namely those connected with the chase and the forest. So their heaven was the happy hunting ground inhabited by game and enemies over whom the blessed forever triumphed. Likewise, the valiant soldiers whose deadly arrows and keen-edged swords and battle axes won on the bloody field of Hastings did not picture a far-off day when the opposing lines should kill each other with mighty engines hurling death from behind parapets a dozen miles away. Firearms and the explosive powder were yet unknown, Hence, there were no images out of which to build such a picture. 
I do not mean that your imagination cannot construct an object which has never before been in your experience as a whole, for the work of the imagination is to do precisely this thing. It takes the various images at its disposal and builds them into wholes which may never have existed before and which may exist now only as a creation of the mind. And yet we have put into this new product not a single element which was not familiar to us in the form of an image of one kind or another. It is the form which is new. The material is old. This is exemplified every time an inventor takes the two fundamental parts of a machine, the lever and the inclined plane, and puts them together in relations new to each other, and so evolves a machine whose complexity fairly bewilders us. And with other lines of thinking, as in mechanics, inventive power consists in being able to see the old in new relations, and so constantly build new constructions out of old material. It is this power which gives us the daring and original thinker, the Newton whose falling apple suggested to him the planets falling toward the sun in their orbits, the Darwin who, out of the thigh bone of an animal, was able to construct in his imagination the whole animal and the environment in which it must have lived, and so add another page to the Earth's history. The Two Factors in Imagination From the simple facts which we have just been considering, the conclusion is plain that our power of imagination depends on two factors, namely, one, the materials available in the form of usable images capable of recall, and two, our constructive ability, or the power to group these images into new wholes, the process being guided by some purpose or end. Without this last provision, the products of our imagination are daydreams with their castles in Spain, which may be pleasing and proper enough on occasions, but which, as an habitual mode of thought, are extremely dangerous. Imagination Limited by Stock of Images That the mind is limited in its imagination by its stock of images may be seen from a simple illustration. Suppose that you own a building made of brick, but you find the old one no longer adequate for your needs, and so purpose to build a new one. And suppose further that you have no material for your new building except that contained in the old structure. It is evident that you will be limited in constructing your new building by the material which was in the old. You may be able to build the new structure in any one of a multitude of different forms or styles of architecture, so far as the material at hand will lend itself to that style of building, and providing further that you are able to make the plans. But you will always be limited finally by the character and amount of the material obtainable from the old structure. So with the mind. The old building is your past experience, and the separate bricks are the images out of which you must build your new structure through the imagination. Here, as before, nothing can enter which is not already on hand. Nothing goes into the new structure so far as its constructive material is concerned, except images, and there is nowhere to get images but from the results of our past experience. Limited also by our constructive ability. But not only is our imaginative output limited by the amount of material in the way of images which we have at our command, but also, and perhaps not less, by our constructive ability. Many persons might own the old pile of bricks fully adequate for the new structure, and then fail to get the new because they were unable to construct it. So, many who have had a rich and varied experience in many lines are yet unable to muster their images of these experiences in such a way that new products are obtainable from them. 
these have the heavy draft horse kind of intellect which goes plodding on very possibly doing good service in its own circumscribed range but destined after all to service in the narrow field with its low drooping horizon they are never able to take a dash at a two-minute clip among equally swift competitors or even swing at a good round pace along the pleasant highways of an experience lying beyond the confines of the narrow here and now these are the minds which cannot discover relations which cannot think minds of this type can never be architects of their own fate or even builders but must content themselves to be hod carriers the need of a purpose nor are we to forget that we cannot intelligently erect our building until we know the purpose for which it is to be used no matter how much building material we may have on hand nor how skillful an architect we may be unless our plans are guided by some definite aim we shall be likely to end with a structure that is fanciful and useless likewise with our thought structure unless our imagination is guided by some aim or purpose we are in danger of drifting into mere daydreams which not only are useless in furnishing ideals for the guidance of our lives but often become positively harmful when grown into a habit the habit of daydreaming is hard to break and continuing holds our thought in thrall and makes it unwilling to deal with the plain homely things of everyday life who has not had the experience of an hour or a day spent in a fairyland of dreams and awakened at the end to find himself rather dissatisfied with the prosaic round of duties which confronted him i do not mean to say that we should never dream but i know of no more pernicious mental habit than that of daydreaming carried to excess for it ends in our following every will-o'-the-wisp of fancy and places us at the mercy of every chance suggestion three types of imagination although imagination enters every field of human experience and busies itself with every line of human interest yet all its activities can be classed under two different types these are one reproductive and two creative imagination reproductive imagination reproductive imagination is the type we use when we seek to reproduce in our minds the pictures described by others or pictures from our own past experience which lack the completeness and fidelity to make them true memory the narration or description of the story-book the history or geography text the tale of adventure recounted by traveller or hunter the account of a new machine or other invention fairy tales and myths these or any other matter that may be put into words capable of suggesting images to us are the field for reproductive imagination in this use of the imagination our business is to follow and not lead to copy and not create creative imagination but we must have leaders originators else we should but imitate each other and the world would be at a standstill indeed every person no matter how humble his station or how humdrum his life should be in some degree capable of initiative and originality such ability depends in no small measure on the power to use creative imagination creative imagination takes the images from our own past experience or those gleaned from the work of others and puts them together in new and original forms the inventor the writer the mechanic or the artist who possesses the spirit of creation is not satisfied with mere reproduction but seeks to modify to improve to originate true many important inventions and discoveries have come by seeming accident by being stumbled upon 
yet it holds that the person who thus stumbles upon the discovery or invention is usually one whose creative imagination is actively at work seeking to create or discover in his field the world's progress as a whole does not come by accident but by creative planning creative imagination is always found at the van of progress whether in the life of an individual or a nation four training the imagination imagination is highly susceptible of cultivation and its training should constitute one of the most important aims of education every school subject but especially such subjects as deal with description and narration history literature geography nature study and science is rich in opportunities for the use of imagination skillful teaching will not only find in these subjects a means of training the imagination but will so employ imagination in their study as to make them living matter throbbing with life and action rather than so many dead words or uninteresting facts gathering of material for imagination theoretically then it is not hard to see what we must do to cultivate our imagination in the first place we must take care to secure a large and usable stock of images from all fields of perception it is not enough to have visual images alone or chiefly for many a time shall we need to build structures involving all the other senses and the motor activities as well this means that we must have a first-hand contact with just as large an environment as possible, large in the world of nature, with all her varied forms suited to appeal to every avenue of sense, large in our contact with people in all phases of experience, laughing with those who laugh and weeping with those who weep, large in contact with books, the interpreters of the men and events of the past. We must not only let all these kinds of environment drift in upon us as they may chance to do, but we must deliberately seek to increase our stock of experience. For after all, experience lies at the bottom of imagination as of every other mental process. And not only must we thus put ourselves in the way of acquiring new experience, but we must by recall and reconstruction, as we saw in an earlier discussion, keep our imagery fresh and usable. For whatever serves to improve our images at the same time is bettering the very foundation of imagination we must not fail to build in the second place we must not fail to build for it is futile to gather a large supply of images if we let the material lie unused how many people there are who put in all their time gathering material for their structure and never take time to do the building they look and listen and read and are so fully occupied in absorbing the immediately present that they have no time to see the wider significance of the things in which they deal they are like the students who are too busy studying to have time to think they are so taken up with receiving that they never perform the higher act of combining they are the plodding fact-gatherers many of them doing good service collecting material which the seer and the philosopher with their constructive power build together into the greater holes which make our systems of thought they are the ones who fondly think that by reading books full of wild tales and impossible plots they are training their imagination for them sober history no matter how heroic or tragic in its quiet movements is too tame they have not the patience to read solid and thoughtful literature and works of science and philosophy are a bore these are the persons who put in all their time in looking at and admiring other people's houses and never get time to do any building for themselves 
we should carry our ideals into action the best training for the imagination which i know anything about is that to be obtained by taking our own material and from it building our own structure it is true that it will help to look through other people's houses enough to discover their style of building we should read but just as it is not necessary for us to put in all the time we devote to looking at houses in inspecting doll houses and chinese pagodas so it is not best for us to get all our notions of imaginative structures from the marvelous and the unreal we get good training for the imagination from reading hiawatha but so can we from reading the history of the primitive indian tribes the pictures in snowbound are full of suggestion for the imagination but so is the history of the puritans in new england but even with the best of models before us it is not enough to follow others building we must construct stories for ourselves must work out plots for our own stories we must have time to meditate and plan and build not idly in the daydream but purposefully and then make our images real by carrying them out in activity if they are of such a character that this is possible we must build our ideals and work to them in the common course of our everyday life we must think for ourselves instead of forever following the thinking of others we must initiate as well as imitate five problems for observation and introspection one explain the cause and the remedy in the case of such errors as the following children who defined mountain as land one thousand or more feet in height said that the factory smokestack was higher than the mountain because it went straight up and the mountain did not children often think of the horizon as fastened to the earth islands are thought of as floating on the water two how would you stimulate the imagination of a child who does not seem to picture or make real the descriptions in reading geography etc is it possible that such inability may come from an insufficient basis in observation and hence in images three classify the school subjects including domestic science and manual training as to their ability to train one reproductive and two creative imagination four do you ever skip the descriptive parts of a book and read the narrative as you read the description of a bit of natural scenery does it rise before you as you study the description of a battle can you see the movements of the troops five have you ever planned a house as you think you would like it can you see it from all sides can you see all the rooms in their various finishings and furnishings six what plans and ideals have you formed and what ones are you at present following can you describe the process by which your plans or ideals change do you ever try to put yourself in the other person's place seven take some fanciful unreality which your imagination has constructed and see whether you can select from it familiar elements from actual experiences eight what use do you make of imagination in the common round of duties in your daily life what are you doing to improve your imagination end of chapter nine recording by colleen mcmahon